0: well you've made it on a saturday it's good to see everybody appreciate so much your presence today and the opportunity we've had to study the word of god there is a uh, dear sister and friend of ours by the name of mary lou Kleinlein, and you probably don't know who she is um But there are many stories that could be told that parallel hers. She uh, grew up in Chicago. She was raised by some very conscientious parents, very moral people. Uh, She participated early on in life in the Roman Catholic Church. She, over a period of time, became concerned because as she was reading the Bible. And interestingly enough, her mother told her, even though they were to be Roman Catholic, to read her Bible and put that before anything the Catholic church said, which is very non catholic as Which led her away from Catholicism, because she did exactly that. And uh, she became, became very... Uh, you might say, confused and frustrated. And so uh, she ceased to be a practicing Catholic, kept reading her Bible. She began to look for uh, a place to worship. And remember, she's still reading her Bible. And so as she is reading her Bible, she came across several, what we would describe as Protestant denominations. And while there might be some things about them that were better than uh, some of the errors of Roman Catholicism, there were still problems because it wasn't really harmonizing with what the Word of God said. She came across a gospel preacher and uh, he preached at a small church close to a small faithful congregation, close to where she was. And they got to talking and she started telling him about her frustrations. And he said he invited her to come worship and would she be interested uh, in being part? And she said, well, if I could find the church that I can read about in the Bible, I would be very interested. I just haven't found that. And I've wondered what he was thinking when she said that. How quickly did he want to get into a Bible study with her? And he said, well, if I could show you a group of people striving with all of their being to follow that pattern. In fact, this group of people would say publicly that if there's anything they're doing that's not matching up with what God's word says, that they'll stop doing that. Would you be interested in having a Bible study with me? You can imagine what she said. She said, absolutely. And they had a Bible study and she obeyed the gospel and she has two sons. Uh, who have preached regularly. And I'm sure you know people that are frustrated with the religious division that they see at large. And they may just see that as, as all churches. They may say that's how Christianity is. But really they're frustrated with the erroneous practices, the confusing views the contradictory doctrines of thousands and thousands and thousands of of different denominations. But how do you have that conversation? Because they may think you're just part of a denomination, but I know you don't want to be part of a denomination and I don't want to be a part of a denomination. So what is the New Testament church and what happens if somebody's looking for the New Testament church? How can we share the gospel with them? I don't know every single person. So it could be we have somebody in this assembly that's looking for the New Testament church. But this sermon is not just for that person. You may think, "Well, Bruce, you know I've I've learned a lot of that in times past. Why do I need this sermon?" Well, if we're going to share the gospel of Christ with others, we need this sermon. We need to know who we are. We need to understand our identity, which is the point in this Lesson as those who are striving to follow Christ and live that new life we've been talking about today. I would also say to you that just become or just because someone is a member of a local church that has a sign that says this is a church of Christ, does it mean that they understand what the Bible says about the New Testament church? I have found that there have been many people that have left the truth and I don't know that they ever did understand what the Bible really presented. And I've got one more reason for us to hear this. Sometimes we use very denominational language and we wonder why people think that we're a part of a denomination just like a lot of our other religious friends, but we talked apart. And so that concept being clear benefits us in sharing the gospel of Christ understanding who we are as God's people and preaching the gospel to the world. So as we we think about some of these things, I hope that you'll say whether it's one, two, or three, we all really need to think about this. Even if we've thought about it before, I'm sure you've thought about it before. Let's think about the church described in the New Testament. So as we think about this idea of looking for the New Testament church, the first thing we need to do is really define our terms. And actually, from a biblical standpoint, this is a lot easier to define than it is from an unbiblical standpoint. That's where all the confusion kind of comes in. When people talk about a denomination, just the most basic, you know, rudimentary definition of denomination, even if we think about money, is a part of the whole. So... When somebody says I'm part of a denomination, well, it's not the whole of the universal church, and it's not just a local church they're talking about. They're talking about some religious organization. Are there other problems with denominationalism? Because by definition, it is, it, is a, uh, it is division. But I can read about local churches, and we'll come back to this in a moment, and I can read about the universal church, all of the saved under the headship of Jesus, the church Jesus died for. I cannot read about a denomination except when divisiveness is being condemned in Scripture. So at the very beginning, that's an issue. But let's just think about the idea of the church. What does that word mean? The word church really means uh, gathering or assembly. Often we make the point about ecclesia, but that's what it means. called to an assembly, an assembly or a gathering. In 1 Corinthians, you can read about the idea of when the church has come together. That's talking about the worship assembly. So that's one way it can be used. But often, it's either what we describe as or what the Bible describes as the universal church. It doesn't say universal church, but when you define what it means singular church, which we're going to do in just a minute, that's what we're talking about, the universal church, all of the saved under the headship of Jesus. This is very important. We talk about the universal church. It is relationship. It is God's people having a relationship with Him. That is, those who have obeyed the gospel are the church. The saved is the church. It's not some type of ecclesiastical organization. It's not a human organization. It's not a synod. It's not a council. It's not a denomination. It's not anything like that. And so when you think of church, especially when we're talking about the universal church, we're talking about saved people. Now often the question will come up, people will ask us, well, are you saying that I have to be a member of the church of Christ in order to be saved? Hang on to that, we'll be back there in just a minute. But one of the big problems we have is if we don't have a clear concept of what the church is of who we are as God's people. So as we think about the scripture, who is the church? People of God that have been called out of the world. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, this idea of the gospel calling us out of the world. And you are, I'm sure, familiar with the many passages that speak of uh, our need to be holy and to be sanctified be called out of the world, we live in the world, but not of the world. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in verse 14, he says, it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those who are God's people, and that is the church, the kingdom of God, are the same. The church is not part of the same. It is the same. It is the same. So when you obey the gospel, and go ahead and be turning to Acts, the second chapter, when you obey the gospel and you become a child of God, you will be a member of the church. And so again, we're talking about people. I would say we probably need to look at it more when we think of the universal church as an organism rather than organization. Now there is somewhat of an organization to it because Jesus is the head and we are in submission to him. But I think we would be better to think of it as a relationship, living organization, fellowship with God. And that's the church. Those are the people for which Jesus died. Now I think this next question will help us. And so we think about who makes up the church. It's the saved, it's the redeemed, it's those who've obeyed. The gospel. So let's try to go a little further with this and make this point. And I don't think this can be emphasized too much. Because this is where even we need to be careful. And that is this issue. Christ is our savior. The church is not my savior. Now this, at this point, Some people kind of go off the rails a little bit, not realizing it. And they'll say, well, wait a minute. So therefore I don't have to be a member of the church in order to be saved. That's a wrong answer. But if somebody asks me, Bruce, do you think that the church saves me? I want you to hear me very clearly. If somebody asks me, does the church save me? The answer is no. But you will not and cannot be saved if you're outside of the church for which Jesus died. And there's plenty of passages that we can look at. Our Roman Catholic friends teach that the church is the administrator of grace. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the administrator of grace. He's the Savior. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He was raised the third day. He's our intercessor and mediator. He is our King and Lord. He is our Savior. Acts chapter 4 in verse 12, you remember what that says. Salvation is in no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. John 14 in verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, who is the Savior? Jesus is the Savior. But stay with, me. turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Come over here to Ephesians chapter 5. And by the way, this is a wonderful context to show you, to show us, how important the church really is. And he, we know he's, even though he's talking about marriage, he's actually using marriage as an illustration Of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5 and verse 32 says. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. But look at verse 23 with me. He says for the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Now stay with me. And you are very well. Even if it is sermon number two. Okay, the body is the saved. That verse right there does it. Jesus is the savior of the body. That's the church. In fact, Colossians 1 and Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 1 tells us there's one church and the church is the body and the body is the church. So he says Jesus is the savior of the body. So who's my savior? Jesus is. But this is, this is where that question, and I really think sometimes the problem is somebody has one thing in mind. Maybe they have a misconception in mind and we have something else in mind. But if you ask me, must I be a member of the church of Christ in order to be saved? Let's define those terms quickly and ask that question. So if church means the called together or the called out or the assembly called by God's grace in the gospel, we'll go with called out. Or we'll just say saved. So, must I be a member of the saved body that Jesus died for in order to go to heaven? What if I asked it that way? What do you think? Is that a hard one? Yeah, of course. The answer is yes. And most people that I might talk to, now we might have to talk about how to get into the Lord's church, which we're going to talk about in a little while. But if you're just asking me that question, I'm not saying you have to attend the local church where I attend. I'm saying if you're asking me, must I be a member of the saved body that Jesus died for in order to go to heaven? The emphatic answer is yes. So what I might have to do is say, well, when you ask that question, let me define the term so that we understand each other. Because if somebody has a denominational view of the church, and even some of our brethren do, then it gets real confusing unnecessarily. And so on this point, if somebody says, well, do you believe the church saves me? No, but the church is the saved. Think about it for a minute. If the church is the saved, and if you're outside of the church, you're outside of God's people, you're not saved, That although the church is not my Savior, Jesus is my Savior. The question now is, who is He saving? And if He's saving His church, then no, I can't be saved and be outside of the body of Christ because all blessings are in Him. That's Ephesians 1. When we look at Acts, the second chapter, come over to Acts 2, I think this becomes if we could just read the text and just get rid of other concepts, I think it becomes clear. This is the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter two, this is the day of Pentecost. And you remember that uh, they had heard that they'd crucified Jesus. Jesus had been raised. He quotes from David. He quotes from Joel. And then in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they were cut to the heart and they asked, Brethren, what shall we do? That's that yielding question. What should we do to be saved? Then Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 says, So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 47. though, Look at verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They didn't get a congregation together and vote on whether they thought that they were saved. It says the Lord added to the church. That's the universal church. That's saved people. So as they obeyed the gospel and they're baptized into Christ, they believe in Jesus, he says that the Lord, not men, the Lord added unto the church daily such as were being saved. Now, stay with me on that. Simultaneously, at the same time, when a person obeys the gospel, they are saved and they are added by the Lord. So really it's rather a redundant question if we understand that from this standpoint. You can't be saved and not added. And you can't be added and not saved. You might be a part of a local congregation and be lost. But you can't be a member of the universal church and be lost at that time. When you obey the gospel, you're saved. And when you're saved, you're added. When you're added, you're saved. Therefore, if you ask me, can I be saved and not be a member of the church? No. Because that's a description of our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And so as the Lord saves, He adds, and as He adds, He saves. So that helps a lot to me, for me. That helps a lot. Let's get down, we read Ephesians five twenty three. We say Jesus is our Savior, but the church is the same. So how is the term church used in the New Testament? We're really going to focus on those two usages. You have the universal usage and you have the local usage. And I know you're probably thinking, boy, have I heard this a lot. That's okay. That's great if you have, because I know places where they have not And also, sometimes when brethren concoct ideas that are not authorized unscriptural, they often reflect a misunderstanding of the church which we'll come back to in a minute. Matthew chapter 16. You remember Jesus has this discussion with his disciples. And in Matthew 16, they were within the gates of Caesarea Philippi. And he starts saying, you know, basically, who am I? Who do you think as the son of man am I? And of course, there were a lot of different opinions and all of them were about equal. They were all wrong. but some said, well, Jeremiah, Elijah, John, the Baptist, one of the prophets. Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? Well, they were saying a lot of different things. But then Jesus gets more focused, which is really the question for us. It's more important than what everybody else says, is what do you say? So he says, what do you say? And Peter makes that wonderful confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So for Peter, the Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament text. It's the Son of God. Thou art the Christ. The Son of the Living God. And he says, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Through what Jesus did and God's working with Jesus, he had revealed that. But then he goes on to say this I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, not Peter as the rock, but the rock or the foundation of the truth that he had stated. So he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We know it's universal church, it's singular here, my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, which I believe hails back to Isaiah 28 and is promising that he would be raised from the dead. But I just want you to see, upon this rock I will build my church. Then we have Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body. It is his body. The fullness, notice, of him who feels all in all. So you can't have salvation outside of him. The church is his body. Then Ephesians 4, when you get those seven ones, you remember one baptism, one father, one hope, one faith, all of that. But notice there is one body. Well, he already has told us the church is the body. And now we have one body. Then we have Colossians 1. He is also the head of the body, the church. So he's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. The body is the church. The church is the body. There's one body. Therefore, how many churches are there? Well, in this sense, there's one church. If we're talking universal, we're talking about who saved. So as we move along, we come to Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem into a myriad of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven We're the firstborn ones And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. How's he using the term church? And so as we go through the scriptures, this is what we see. That's how the term church is being used. So when you think of church, when you come to a passage like Savior of the body, or upon this rock I will build my church, or any passage like that, when you see church, you need to think, save people. Saves people. Because that's what we're talking about. It refers to the relationship of God's people through Christ. And we read a number of passages that makes that point. Now, what's interesting is we have these different descriptions that reference our relationship to Jesus. Let me give you a, a quick rundown of that. So the idea of the church, well, Jesus is the one who calls, but if you're obedient, you are the call. The church of God in Acts 20 and verse 28 indicates that Jesus shed His blood for His people. Therefore, they are the purchased of God. The body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus is the head. We are members. The kingdom of God. He is king. The kingship of Jesus. We are His citizens. The family of God in 1 Timothy 3.15. God is our Father. Jesus is His Son. We are God's children. We read about the temple of God. He is our high priest. We are priests. We have access to God. The church of the firstborn. He is heir. We are fellow heirs. And so we have all of this. Now notice what I have on this slide. All of this shows relationship. So the universe. This is really important. The universal church. When we're talking about universal church. I know I keep saying it, just hang in there with me. It's all of the saved individuals. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 12.27 because this is where sometimes things go off the rail. 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 27, as he's talking about the body of Christ. Let's look at this passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 27. Once you look, he's been talking about the body and us caring for one another. But in real simple verse, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you, now you, individuals, believers, now you are Christ's body. And listen, individually members of it. So the church is made up of individuals. I have seen bulletins for my brethren, and they mean well, but it's a denominational concept. They'll have a chart. And it'll say universal church and it'll have local congregations scattered in this little circle. I've seen it and I can show you. They're they're saying local churches are tied together and that makes up the universal church. Brother, listen to me. Not only is that unbiblical, it is extremely dangerous. That is how the Roman Catholic church works. That's what led to Catholicism. When our brethren come up with structures that really, or, or you know, they want to organize things that violate the autonomy of the local congregation, it often has to do with that concept. And if we just understand that the the universal church is relationship of individuals to Jesus, doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter what continent they're on, that's what the universal church is. That would go a long way and helping us express this. So in relation to God's calling, we are saints. In relation to the gospel, we are believers. In relation to Christ, we are Christians. We're followers of Christ. In relation to the Father, we're children of God. In relation to Christ's teaching, we are disciples. In relation to one another, we are brethren. Now, having said that, let's talk about local churches. We also, you'll read about a plurality of local churches. What is a local church? A local church, probably one of the better definitions is just that it's a plurality of believers that band together, that unite together in a local geographical area according to the pattern that we have in the New Testament. God gave us a pattern. Let me say this to you. Local churches are sufficient to do everything that God wants them to do. If we start hearing things that indicate the local church is not sufficient, that should always be concerning. This is a divinely organized opportunity we have to worship together, to work together, to love one another. The, the, The leadership has been revealed. When there's leadership, how it ought to operate. So we're not at liberty to come and try to organize it differently than what we read in the scripture. And so we read about the universal church, but look at just, I mean, that's just a small list, but you remember the seven churches of Asia, you know, local congregation in in Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia, there was the church at Corinth. Come over to 1 Corinthians 1-2 real quickly. And look, look, he's got both in this verse mentioned. 1 Corinthians 1-2, the church of God, which is at Corinth, that's a local congregation there. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord. That's the universal church. But there was a local church at Corinth. Come to Philippians chapter one, if you please would. Philippians chapter one, look at verse one. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons. And, you know, this idea that, well, the preacher is a pastor just because he's a preacher. Now, a preacher can be a pastor, peter was, But just because a man's a preacher doesn't make him a pastor. There's some qualifications over there, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that you'll remember. I remember playing basketball one time. Um, oh, where was I? Northern Missouri. And uh, the guys I was playing with had a lot of friends, and they were they were Mormon. And we were playing, and I'll never forget, it. the guy had a little sticker on his T-shirt. And it said, Elder Baines. I still remember that a long time ago. And we got into a conversation. I said, you look kind of young to be married and have kids. <laughs> and he looked like he could not be more than 19. I don't even think he was shaving yet. But that's, that's one organization, just to give you an idea, that doesn't fit what the Scriptures say. Because 1 Timothy 3, that you know, talks about being the husband of one wife and faithful children and et cetera. So there's some qualifications of elders. There's qualifications for deacons serving in that technical, formal way. You know, we're all servants. We can serve in a non-technical way as Christians, but My point to you is the Bible lays things out and that's what Philippians 1.1 is talking about. There's not to just be one elder. There's a plurality of elders. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Elders were appointed for a reason. We read that they, one place says they were, uh, when you read Titus 1, Acts 14.23, I think Acts 14.23 says they were appointed in every church. Titus 1 says in every city. Well, in every city means in every church. Each congregation had it. Elders oversaw that congregation, not some other congregation. The elders here in this congregation, they pastor and shepherd the brethren here. We we have shepherds where I am at Highway 65. And I'm one of five men that serve in that capacity there. We shepherd that flock. We don't shepherd this flock. If somebody comes along and says, oh, but Bruce, if we could... Think about what we could do if we could kind of tie these churches together and then we have one eldership over all these different congregations. No, that's unscriptural. That doesn't fit the biblical pattern. Besides the fact that it's extremely unwise, it's just wrong. And so you see we're understanding this. The, the, the local churches served in their particular capacity. Now let's talk about the function of these local churches. We read in Acts 2.42 the Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. In Acts 2.44, they agree to join in fellowship. That's joint sharing together. That's how God wants it. They worship in a common assembly when the churches come together. They submit to a common oversight. And so you have a plurality of men that meet the qualifications that the Holy Spirit has revealed. Acts 20 says they're to shepherd and protect the flock. You have six terms, three pairs of six terms. They're not different levels of offices. It's talking about the same work. It's just looking at it from a different perspective. So pastors and shepherds. You have shepherds, you have overseers, you have presbyters, you could go on. You know the six terms. And so he's not saying, well, you have this level of, of office or work and then you go up to this level and then you get a big promotion <laughs> And then you move up to this. No. Those are all descriptions. Elders are shepherds. Shepherds are elders. And by the way, look at Acts chapter 20 and the text makes this clear. Paul is not talking to different people. He's talking to the same folks. Acts 20 and verse 17 from Miletus. He sent to Ephesus and called to him. Look at this. The elders of the church. That church at Ephesus. Now come on down to verse 28. As he's talking to them, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there we have overseers. To shepherd, there we have shepherds, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You've got at least three terms right there in the same chapter. And that makes all the sense in the world. If we follow God's pattern. And so these local churches come to 1 Peter 5 quickly. 1 Peter 5, look at verses 2 and 3. By the way, Peter was an elder. And he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, verse 2, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sort of gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. These elders are going to give an account on the day of judgment, and that's a heavy, heavy responsibility for how they oversaw the souls that were under their charge. And that work is to evangelize and edify and to carry out benevolence. It is not to foster division or denominationalism or anything of that kind. And so there's a lot more that could be said. Yes, there's a plurality of local churches. They're autonomous. Now, I will tell you, if, let's say you have a given community. I'll I'll use Conway. So, It was a very faithful congregation, the Prince Street Church of Christ there in Conway. And I worship with and work with the Highway 65 Church of Christ, local churches. Our elders oversee Highway 65, their elders oversee Prince Street. Now, when they preach the gospel in Conway and we preach the gospel in Conway, that's what we call concurrent action. In other words, they're doing their work and we're doing the work Both of those are benefiting. It's the same type of work. But they don't oversee this work, and this work doesn't oversee that work. Okay. So there are all those terms elders, overseers, pastors, presbyters, bishops, shepherds. We read about qualified deacons. We know local churches are autonomous. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 1. This is about the only place I can really find the idea of denominationalism is what was going on at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he condemned it. They were following different men. Whoever those men were, they were following. them. verse 10, though, he says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and same judgment. Let me just mention this quickly. Think about it from this standpoint, the wisdom of this. If local churches are autonomous, and let's say there's a local congregation that departs from the truth, that doesn't have to affect other congregations. But if they're all tied up together, if they're all, you know, if there's a centralization of them, and one goes off, then another goes off, and another goes off, and another goes off. And so you see the wisdom of this. The church is not plan B. It was prophesied in Daniel 2. It was prophesied in Isaiah 2. It was promised by Jesus in Matthew 16. And we read in Ephesians 3, it was the manifold, eternal purpose of God as it was revealed. And then finally, and here's our, our final point, but here's the question. So here's the real big question. Okay, once I understand this, I know that I need to be a member of the church in order to be saved. I need to be part of the saved. That's what the church is. So what do I do to become a member of it? That's the real big question. So here are just three passages again I'll mention to you. If you look at Acts 2, the Lord was adding to their number day by day, adding who? Those who were baptized by faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we're all baptized into one body. And the body is the church and the church is the body. And then finally, Galatians 3 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For You're all one in Christ Jesus. By faith, we are baptized into Christ. And to be in Christ is to be in the church, and to be in the church is to be in Christ. You've listened very well this afternoon. Thank you. Think about these things. The truth really is rather simple. It takes the doctrines of men to make things complicated. So let's hold to the truth of the gospel. If you're not God's child, and you want to be a member of the Lord's church, you want to be part of the saved, obey the gospel now, it's together with standing in